You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, so um, if you don't have a worksheet, there's one on, on a chair or floating around. Uh, I'm going to just be perfectly honest. I just printed out my notes as the worksheet. Uh, so it's you may not be able to follow it. It may have some like arrows and abbreviations, but um, hopefully it'll be okay. Um, all right, so before I pray, the purpose of this class, I love Christmas all about Christmas. I think one thing about Christmas um, that I've come to appreciate is that uh, there is like so much richness um, theologically, so much richness practically, especially for kids. I always say, um, you know, you kind of kids are kind of hard to get motivated in, in different ways, right? Uh, but one time they are very motivated spiritually is Christmas time. They, you know, they're into the story, they're into watching the movies, uh, they're into going to the nativity thing, whatever it may be. And so um, I always say, like, capitalize on motivation. You know, <laughs> one of the things uh, I have this saying, it's kind of you know, you make hay before the sun goes down. That's why I'm kind of like with young kids, especially like reading them the story, Jesus Storybook Bible, reading them all these kind of different. Uh, reading all kinds of different kind of like Christian books for them is so valuable when they're really young because they want you to read them books. You know, they would be happy for you to read to them eight books a day. And so I always say capitalize on the motivation because as the teenage parents know, a day is going to come when they're like, don't talk to me. Right? <laughs> I just want to go into my room and listen to dark heavy metal music, right? <laughs> um, so anyhow, so the, this, this uh, class is practical lessons uh, from the Christmas story for kids. So basically, uh, you know, I think because a lot of times we just kind of sentimentalize, sentim- I don't know what the word is, <laughs> something along those lines, sentimentalize, we'll just use that as the word, um, the Christmas story, and we kind of like overlook the richness and the practical value. So that's what the lesson's going to be about today. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll uh, get off to the races. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thank you for your loving kindness. I pray um, your Holy Spirit would bless us, would speak to us, and um, I pray that we'd only hear from the Lord God through your word and through your spirit. I ask your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this class is going to be very like straightforward. It's just going to be like seven points that I think that you can make about Christmas that are very relevant to a child of any age. And kind of my thinking in this is, let's say that you go to the Briarwood walkthrough nativity, or you go to the Mount Brook Baptist nativity, or you know something like that. Uh, this is just to give you some nuggets to where um, you know on the on the drive home while you're walking through the nativity, while you're watching the nativity movie online, just some practical nuggets that you can kind of speak into your child's life uh, to kind of give them some Christian and biblical wisdom. Okay, so the first first lesson here is the activity of angels. Activity of angels. Um, notice in the Christmas stories how prevalent angels are. So you have, um, you know, in, in Luke, when uh, Zechariah goes into the temple and the angel of the Lord speaks to him and says that you're going to be, uh, you're going to have a baby in your old age. And... Um, and, you know, he is going to be a, the prophet of the Most High. So he's basically, you're going to have John the Baptist. You have that angel. Then, how is it that Mary hears that she is going to conceive a child? An angel, the angel Gabriel, comes to Mary and speaks to her. Um, uh, Joseph. You know, Joseph is, you know, he's not going to, he's going to, you know, cancel the, the marriage with Mary when he finds out that she 
is pregnant and an angel comes to Joseph in a dream and communicates to Joseph, Joseph, um, you know, this is, this, she has been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And so that kind of holds the marriage and holds that together. So first thing is the activity of angels. And I know that's kind of, uh, in a, in a kind of a Western post enlightenment climate that we live in, that might seem a little bit, you know, mythological, supernatural, but you know, angels are real. And angels are all over the Bible. There are over 350 references uh, to angels in the Bible. And uh, I think kids are kind of interested in angels, you know? And so I think one thing you can say is affirm that, like, angels are real and God uses them for real purposes. Um, maybe not in the way that, you know, happens here at this major moment in redemptive history. We don't really necessarily expect that, uh, you know, an angel's going to appear in your child's bedroom and, 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 you know, deliver a message to them. Um, but we really do believe that angels are there for our protection. Uh, we believe that angels um, uh, minister to us. We see that angels minister to people throughout the Bible, particularly Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, and so I think and sometimes it can be a hopeful thing, particularly for a child who is anxious, uh, to, to say not only is God with you, but God does send angels to, to watch over you and to protect you uh, and to minister to you. And so um, that's just a big trend in these stories, and I think that that's... Um, uh, that's something that um, can uh, that can be relevant to a kid's curiosity, and it can be also pretty pretty comforting to a child. All right, number two, the anticipation of the Messiah. All right, so um, how many of y'all have seen the Nativity Story, that movie? Have I seen it? It's uh, probably came out 15 years ago. It is excellent. It is really really well done um, in terms of. Uh, biblical faithfulness and kind of bringing together the two Christmas stories from Matthew and Luke and including that content, really good at painting the context. And it's it's like very much age appropriate. I, I, we will, I will say there are a couple of scary scenes, like right at the beginning, um, it starts out with the slaughter of innocents, with the Roman uh, Roman soldiers coming to Bethlehem. And it doesn't like show anything, but it's a little bit overly intense for like kids my, my children's age. They're seven, five, and two. So we kind of fast forward through that. I think there's a scene where the Roman soldiers come to um, come and like kind of harass Joseph and Mary's parents to collect taxes, and um, that's a little bit intense because yeah they take away a girl and it's it's that's scary. But otherwise, um, <laughs> sorry I know I know maybe you should I'll say if you watch the first the first 15 minutes you may need to watch to figure out what's age appropriate for your child, um, but otherwise it's it's really it's really good it's fantastic. Um, and in fact, we're watching it for three weeks in a row in, in uh, parts of it in, in senior high Sunday school because it's a great teaching tool. But one thing you see, um, one thing you see, and I'll pull this first one, Lauren, is that I think this is helpful, particularly for, say, junior high, high school kid, because they're kind of wondering, like, where did this all come from? Like, this all kind of feels like Jesus comes out of nowhere. But the reality is, is there was a tremendous amount of anticipation um, about a Messiah. And I want to show... Uh, this one video from the Nativity story, this one clip, and it kind of shows how the people um, were really expecting a Messiah to come. I'll get into the details of that a little more in a little bit, but uh, watch here, and you know, some Roman soldiers are coming through, and some uh, some Jews are kind of antagonizing the Roman soldiers, and at the end, they're going to say, like, the Messiah will save us, so just to give you a sense of what we're talking about. Please work, day school internet. All right. Oh, shoot, my bad. 
Okay, so kind of hard to hear. But um, basically what they're saying to the Roman soldiers is Messiah will save us, Messiah will save us. And so uh, in the Old Testament, um, you have this prophetic tradition where, uh, honestly, this goes all the way back to Genesis 3, and, 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 and basically there's this promise of one who will come, one who will come to deliver God's people from their sins, one who will come to redeem the fall. And as you go throughout the Old Testament, more and more prophecies are delivered over centuries, centuries and centuries to give more and more clarity to this picture. So uh, you see in Matthew in particular, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience and he is making it clear that Jesus is the Messiah. And so if you ever read um, the beginning of Matthew, you see that it's like essentially the, the Christmas story, a lot of it is just him showing, quoting prophecies from the Old Testament and showing how they're fulfilled in the life of Jesus. He's kind of like connecting the dots for a Jewish audience to say, hey, all of these things that were promised, all this anticipation, it has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Um, he cites uh, Isaiah and the virgin birth. He cites the very first thing in the New Testament is the genealogy of Jesus because the Messiah was promised to come through the line of Abraham, the line of David. Um, he cites that the Messiah was promised to be born in Bethlehem and Micah. He cites how the Messiah would come out of uh, Egypt uh, in Hosea 11.1. 1. And so with that being said, I think one thing that's valuable, this is probably more valuable for a, a middle school and senior high audience, is to communicate that the people were expecting a, a Messiah to come. Messiah means anointed king. So it's just an, basically you could use the word king. Special king would be kind of the, the word. But, but anyhow, um, and at this time, you even have like false messiahs, different people who, um, who said, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And, it, and, they, and things did not work out for them very well. Um, but basically what they were anticipating, because they were ruled by the Romans, they were anticipating a military king who would come and liberate them uh, from Roman rule. And so all that to say, it's not terribly surprising that Jesus comes from, from the standpoint of the expectations and the, the uh, anticipation that the prophetic messianic groundwork had been laid. So that's, that's uh, uh, thing number two. All right, number three, getting more practical here. Um, the difficulty and sa- yeah, yeah, can you um, could you get that one? Thanks so much. The difficulty and the sacrifice uh, that God's call can entail. Uh, you know, if a child is walking as a Christian, particularly as they get into middle school and high school, like it's going to get increasingly hard. Uh, like the way that they're going to live is going to be increasingly resisted. You know, if if you're the girl who is not going to join in in the gossip frenzy, like you're going you're going <laughs> You're going to get, you know, cut out of the group text, or you're going to, you know, get some negative feedback on that. Um, if, uh, yeah, if you're if you're the, the 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 boy who's going to like stand up for the kid who's being bullied, uh, whether that, you know, at any age, like that's not going to be well received. And so, you know, it's going to be increasingly costly. Um, it's increasingly costly to be a Christian. And so, one thing in the Christmas story to think about is just how costly. Do you have it? Just how costly it was for Mary. Um, oh, you know, that's like one of the things I just really didn't, you know, it really kind of glosses over it in the, in the New Testament accounts. Um, there's just kind of more left to read between the lines of what this all means. Because, you know, I remember growing up, it was just like, oh, Mary's pregnant. And it's a miracle. And, um, <laughs> you know, and that's that, right? Of course, you know, you've heard this story a million times and, but here, this, this is again from the Nativity story. 
this is kind of really does a good job of showing socially what this all meant. Because, I mean, like, come on, there haven't been any, like, virgin conceptions that we know of in world history, right? <laughs> kind of convenient, Mary, right? Um, but, you know, to think about what other people thought. So this, this scene here, Mary is coming back from visiting uh, her Aunt Elizabeth, and she comes back, and she's gone out flat tummy. She has come back with the baby bulge. Um, and so it'll you get a look here at what this means for her and her relationship with Joseph, with her parents, um, the the threat to her, all kinds of things. I'm so excited. My bride. Uh oh. Okay, so let's think about this. Let's think about all the different levels of this. First off, Mary comes home. Mary's, Mary's parents, they're thrilled to have a good husband, stable income, and oh goodness, this is all, you know, this is falling apart. Uh, you've got Joseph feeling betrayed. Uh, Joseph, you know, what am I going to do? Um, you've got the social uh, shame and stigma. You can see the girls kind of looking at Mary and looking at Joseph like, and, and you see that throughout. And you have to think, guys, I mean, how old, how, how, how long would it, I mean, no one probably ever really believed until Jesus was like 30 that, you know, Mary's story. What, what evidence would they have to believe Mary's story until Jesus starts doing, you know, miracles and Jesus rises from the dead? So for that being said, you know, Mary was probably stigmatized for the rest of her life. Um, in, in that community. Uh, then there was, you know, I don't know if you heard her mom say this, but, you know, remember in, in, uh, in, in Matthew, it says that, uh, you know, Joseph being a righteous man decided just to, you know, he was just going to do a quiet divorce 
and uh, and he and and it says in the clip further that I'm not going to accuse her because Mary could have been stoned, like Mary could have been killed based on the law at that time. Um, so think about all of the danger and all the costs. And Mary didn't ask for this, you know. There there was no sign up list, and Mary said, "I will, you know, I will I will bear the Messiah through um, supernatural conception." And so anyhow, how misunderstood she was, how endangered she was, how much it cost her socially, um, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think it's very, I think it's valuable to humanize Mary's story and to get a sense um, of, of just, um, just how much she, um, just how much she suffered in, in faithfulness to God. And I, one thing I'll say is, um, I think Protestants a lot of times throw out the baby with a bath of water on Mary. Sometimes in reaction to Catholicism, Protestants having a view that, that, that Catholics elevate Mary too much can then overreact and minimize how special of a figure she really was. Um, she was a, sorry, if anyone who's Roman Catholic, I, I believe that she was a regular sinner, just like any one of us, who had a very special call from God. Um, but I also don't think we should diminish like what a central figure she is in redemptive history and what an amazing sacrifice. Um, she makes um, she makes uh, on behalf uh, of the Lord. So, with that being said, number three was the difficulty and sacrifice that God's call can entail. Number four is God's provision in His call. So Mary Mary is called into something very very difficult, um, and you can see all kinds of ways that God provides for Mary. Um, number one, it's very helpful to Mary that she has an aunt Elizabeth who has also experienced a miraculous conception. I mean, you know, this is, Elizabeth's conception is similar to Sarah and Abraham's conception back in the Old Testament. She is past the age of having children. She's postmenopausal. It is a biological miracle that Elizabeth gets pregnant. Um, And hey, how cool that it happens to be that the prophet of the Most High, John the Baptist, who is also prophesied in Isaiah and Malachi, happens to be um, Jesus' first cousin. Um, The mother of the prophet of the Most High, John the Baptist, is the aunt of Mary. And so Mary, you know, goes to visit them. And so how confirming is it for Mary? Like, surely Mary had to think, like, I'm crazy. You know, surely I'm crazy. Um, But then she goes and her aunt has had a similar thing happen. And her aunt affirms her and says, ah, this is, this is real. Like, the baby left in my womb. This is real, Mary. So she has a person to confirm this very supernatural, highly confusing, mystical thing that has happened in her life. So that's a provision. A second provision is that Joseph is, uh, is kind of initially merciful, and an angel appears to Joseph to say, hey, Joseph, like, she's telling the truth. She's not lying. This is a very special, miraculous thing. And so there are all kinds of different ways that you see God provide. One other way is the angel appears to Joseph and Mary and says, hey, Herod's troops are coming to kill your child. And so anyhow, they're called into something hard, but God provides for them and protects them throughout it. And so, you know, your um, your child is going to be called into all kinds of hard things. Uh, and that's just like regular stuff, you know? I mean, like, if you have a middle school or high school kid who's taking exams this coming week, like God has called them to be a student and taking those exams is part of their call in their life. I'm not, I'm not like comparing Mary's call to taking exams, but I mean, it's something they have to do. And so anything, anything that God calls us into, we believe that God provides for. Um, the, 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 the good old saying, 
God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And so with that being said, as your child enters into, enters into challenges, um, remind them that the challenges that they have to go into in life are challenges that God has called them to. God is sovereign. Um, and so if God has called them into it, God will provide for them in that call. You see that very, very um, tangibly in this story, and it's good evidence for all the things that we're um, called into in our life. Should I tell them about my meltdown this week? <laughs> That's an example. Lauren has had to preach this to me this week. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in my last seminary class, and um, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm going to finish this class, two exit exams, check the box, short thesis, I'm done. I'm just basically, you know, drinking... Uh, drinking slushies by the pool for the rest of life, right? So I find out they've changed the requirement on one of the exit exams to where you have to basically perfectly memorize the Westminster Catechism, which is 4,500 words, and you have to take a test. And if you get one word wrong, the answer is not counted. And if you make a 94 or below, you fail. Yes. Somebody sent a pipe bomb to the seminary. It wasn't me, I promise. Yeah. Um, don't record that. <laughs> Sorry, NSA. Sorry, FBI. Um, anyhow, so I had a like four-day-long meltdown this week. <laughs> a never-ending meltdown. And uh, and so anyhow, and and Lauren's like, God, you know, God doesn't. Call the equipped, he equips the call. The Lord knows I am not equipped. Uh, I have not been memorizing the Westminster Confession. Uh, but anyhow, so um, so yeah, drinking a little bit of my, my own medicine here. So I'm just have to trust that whether it's the mercy of the person grading my test, I'm a horrible memorizer, terrible memorizer, um, uh, unless it's like statistics about Alabama football. But um, uh, yeah, but um, but anyhow, so yeah, so we're just gonna have to trust that somehow God is gonna help me cross the finish line on that one. Cameron, I have a comment. I just keep thinking about like how could God have made it society-wise easier for Mary? And and then I, I obviously go back. But like, let's say Jesus was Mary and Joseph's third child. Society-wise, that would have been so much easier for Yeah, but in good so word. Great observation. And centuries and centuries, everybody, was, well, that was, how can you prove that wasn't Joseph's? And that would be a constant... Question. Yeah. And so the fact that it was hard for her in her life, you know, really made it apparent to everybody forever that it wasn't Joseph's. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. I'd never thought about that. Because mm-hmm. Mary and Joseph do have multiple other children afterwards. Um, uh, yeah. James being one of them, but I think as many as four more kids. Uh, so yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for sight. All right, so number four, the way of God is the way of humility and weakness. Um, this is one that I think we can never kind of uh, emphasize too little. Um, so, you know, let's think about the circumstances, the way that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, comes into the world um, as a baby. So God Almighty had to have his diaper changed and was uh, a breastfeeding baby and was completely dependent on his parents, you know, for everything. Um, God was born in a manger, so basically like a feeding trough for animals. Uh, there was no room in the inn, so it was basically in like a cave slash barn um, there in Bethlehem. And it was like in a, a very much like a rural, obscure region um, of Israel. Bethlehem had significance. That's where uh, David was born. But it was still like 
it was probably similar to being born in like West Block in Alabama. Just, you know, rural, not, not terribly notable, um, so on and so forth. So that's no slide of West Blockton. No slide of West Blockton. Um, but, you, but to give you an equivalent of what, you know, the circumstances of where Jesus was born. Um, so, so, yeah, and, and, and he was also poor. Uh, he was disenfranchised. They were under Roman rule. Um, and that's the circumstances in the, the life biography that, that God in the person of Jesus Christ is born into. And so with that being said, um, being weak, being dependent on God, uh, being needy before God, like that is kind of the way that God calls us to live. Um, I, a lot of times uh, get this false notion because it's kind of the way of the world that, you know, we're called to be strong and, uh, and, and certainly strength does flow out of relationship with Christ. But being needy and being dependent is the primary posture by which we live before God. And so we shouldn't, uh, we don't want to just look at the baby Jesus and um, look at the baby Jesus and be like, oh, he's a baby. Like we should really think about, hey, look, like what is, Jesus was God and he was also 100% man and he lived exactly the way that God calls us to live. And that was perfectly dependent upon the father uh, every second of his life. And so, um, so yeah, that's a way to kind of take the sentimental reality of the sweet baby Jesus, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay, and to, to turn it into something that's really teachable, especially when your kids are, um, you know, when they're struggling, when they're anxious, when they have challenges, to say, like, hey, you're called to be needy and weak. Like, God puts challenges in your life to continue to teach you and to reinforce that you need to depend on the Lord. That's the way of God. Um, all right, so that's number five. Uh, any questions so far, BT-dubs? Using my cool teenage lingo there, BT dubs right now. Yeah, still got it, right? Um, okay, rock on. We'll keep on going. All right, number number six is Jesus came for everyone. Um, interesting that the people who come to the manger are on both sides of the spectrum. You have the shepherds, the down and out, and you've got the wise men who are kings, who are royalty. So um, the shepherds, they come. Shepherds were poor, shepherds smelled bad, and um, shepherds, were, um, shepherds were really kind of the bottom of the social hierarchy um, in Israel. And so, um, has anyone, uh, does anyone remember in this, the Jesus Storybook Bible, the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones talks about the shepherds? Uh, you know, she, she, she does a really good job of picking it, but it's basically like kind of what I just said there as far as being kind of like smelly and dirty and, you know, they kind of were all out there in the fields with the sheep and just not a glamorous job at all. Uh, and so, and yet, the angels, here we go, angels again, um, a choir of angels appears to the shepherds and tells them, hey, the Messiah has been born. You know, like, come to, <laughs> hey guys, hey Henry. Um, the uh, God announces to these, like, down and out, bottom of the barrel, poor guys, hey, the Messiah has come, come to Bethlehem. So that's a statement. And it's also, it's in, in Luke's gospel that the story about the shepherds is. It's not in Matthew's gospel. Luke's audience, he is, is a Gentile audience, and one of the primary things that Luke is trying to show throughout his whole gospel is, uh, is God's grace for the weak. Um, how Jesus cared for the poor, Jesus cared uh, for the, the humble and, and the, the down and out. And so it makes sense that he has the shepherd account in his gospel because that's who the shepherds were. And they were, they came to see Jesus. 
they were you know first audience and they're they're poor on the other end of the spectrum you have the wise men now the wise men are in matthew's gospel um, which makes sense because matthew is trying to communicate that jesus is the king of kings he is the messiah to a jewish audience it's the most jewish of all the gospels and so with that being said uh, you know, we say the, the term, the Greek term for the wise men was they were magi, which that tells us that they were Persian kings. And um, kind of going back to this whole anticipation thing, I think it's cool is uh, they were Zoroastrians. Zori, I can't, I'm, uh, the brain's a little flat right now. That's a, that's a, a Babylonian religion that was practiced that included lots of astro- astrology. And um, they studied the stars, and that was kind of integral to their... Um, to their religious faith, anyhow, but they um, they would have had access to the old, to the to the Old Testament because the Jews had been in Babylon in captivity uh, during the Babylonian exile, and so uh, we kind of speculate that the wise men probably looked at Old Testament prophecies, uh, particularly those related to the Star of Nazareth, and that is what probably sparked their intrigue. I did a Google map um, Google map from Persia to Jerusalem, the Tehran to Jerusalem. Guess how many miles it is? How far the wise men would have traveled? Someone take a guess. 20,000. A L- little less than that, but you're in, you're in the same hemisphere. 1,900 miles. So then I got on Google Maps, and I was like, how far from Birmingham, if you're going west, would that be? They would take you to the, um, to the, uh, air, the, like, the farthest west Arizona border. So like... 200 miles west of Phoenix is how far. So that, you know, that's quite a hike, you know. And, uh, and, and you know, and you would think that, uh, you would think those last thousand miles when you start to get west of Dallas and, you know, like kind of the flat desert of West Texas and there's, oh, you're Jason, you're from out in that, that, that world. Well, that would have been the, 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 the desert, like the last half or the last third. That would have been the whole, whole trip, you know, from Tehran to Jerusalem. Not a whole lot of trees, not a whole lot of grass, not a whole lot of water. So tough journey. Anyhow, that's a little get a little get off track there. My little journey through Google Maps last night. Um, but anyhow, these guys were kings. You know, they were wealthy. They were they were empowered. And yet, you know, God calls them to Jesus as well. They're 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 they they know they wouldn't have been there at the same time as the shepherds. The shepherds got there a lot earlier. Wouldn't have been surprising if the wise men were there at least you know a year after Jesus was born. Um, maybe even two years, uh, because that's kind of what sparks Herod and the slaughter of innocents. But anyhow, there's a prophecy in, in Isaiah 49, verses 5 through 7. It's on the back of your sheet here. And it talks about uh, how the Messiah, this is prophetic about the Messiah, how the Messiah, um, how kings will come and bow down before him. So it says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, as uh, the voice of the Messiah, prophetically, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise princes and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And so the coming of the wise men is a fulfillment of this prophecy. And so that's all to say that Jesus comes for all people. Um, Rich, poor, 
no matter, you know, any ethnicity, any color, any stripe. Jesus comes for all people. Um, and you can see that at the manger scene with the wise men and the shepherds, the poor and the rich. And so uh, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've come from, no matter what you've done, like Jesus comes for you. Uh, and, you know, in a world where um, inclusion is, you know, one of the highest values in our culture, um, you can see how incredibly inclusive um, the gospel is. Uh, you know, the idea of, like, good people go to heaven is a very exclusive idea. What about rotten people like me? You know, <laughs> the, the, that Christ died for sinners is the most inclusive message, central message of any world religion. Because it says no matter what you've done, no matter how sinful you are, like, through the grace of God, through Christ, like, there is a place for you in God's family. Um, and so, anyhow, that's, um, that's really, that's a, that's a, particularly given the zeitgeist and the values of the current day, like, that really resonates with kids to see how inclusive the manger scene is for people on all ends of the spectrum uh, through the grace of God. All right. Finally, uh, number seven, God works through young people. Uh, Mary was probably like middle school age uh, when she uh, got pregnant with Jesus and was married to Jesus. Uh, she was, yeah, she was young. And, um, and so, you know, and Joseph was probably in a more adult age. Nothing sketchy in that time about that. And that's sketchy in our culture. I get you put in jail. Um, but in uh, but in that culture, it was not a um, it was not uh, you know socially unacceptable for a man who was more established to marry a teenage girl. Um, and I mean, let's just be totally totally honest. Like most of the guys we see in our twenties these days are about as mature as the middle school girls we have in our church. Um, so sorry, that was a little that was a little mean. <laughs> Found true. <laughs> um, but anyhow, so all that to say. Uh, you know, uh, God comes into the world through through a teenager, uh, and so God works through young people, and uh, that's important. There are a lot of examples of this in the Bible. Um, Josiah, who is my favorite king of Israel, uh, he became king at age seven, and he led major reforms uh, in Israel. Like, probably he is he is like of the kings of Israel. I think he's the greatest. Um, but basically, he starts his great reforms at fifteen. Uh, so all that to say, you know, David was a boy when he kills Goliath. So God works through young people. And that's something you should point out about Mary, that Mary was a teenager. And God, you know, performed pr- probably the greatest work of redemptive history, that and the cross, through a teenager. Um, and all of us can probably, too, think about how, like, children have been used in our lives and have, like, touched our lives and changed us. Um, you know, uh, things we've learned kind of through like the innocent wisdom of our, of our you know, kids' observations, um, ways that when you're having a tough time, your kids can be like so unconditionally loving. Like they don't necessarily know what's going on with you, but they're like so excited when you walk through the door. Um, and, uh, you know, and I even think too, um, uh, to touch on a sensitive topic, but to, to dignify this, you know, for, for people who have um, who've had miscarriages, to think about how that child... Um, may have, you know, changed your life in a way. Uh, you know, you never met that child or knew that child, uh, but that child in some way either deepened your sensitivity or compassion, um, led you to a place where you had to depend on the Lord, awakened you to the darkness of this life, and turned your eyes towards heaven, whatever it is, um, how God works through young people. And so I think they're really kind of, a lot of times our kids can have this idea of like, well, God can use me when I get all my stuff together and I've learned everything and I know everything, 
uh, and the reality is that like God does things through the life of young people, and they're they're generally unaware of it. Um, and so that's something that's just a way to kind of affirm your child and the meaning and the purpose in their life that God has for them, regardless of their age. Uh, we see it like so visibly through this middle school aged uh, girl, Mary. So that's all I have. Um, questions, observations. Letters to the editor. It doesn't that really mention Joseph very much. I mean, I guess because he was older, you think he just wasn't around? Um, yeah, we don't have a ton of like biographical information. I mean, we know that he was a carpenter. Uh, we know that he was a little bit older. Um, we know that he was a righteous man, uh, a faithful, faithful Jew. Uh, but you're right, we don't have a ton of information. But what a guy, you know? I mean, he he doesn't get enough he doesn't get enough uh, props for staying in there and the social cost for him, um, and you know he he raises Jesus as his own. There's no um, you see uh, when they go to the temple that Jesus most Joseph and Mary were like teaching him and he was growing and was in stature. Um, no, no, sorry. Favor with God. Favor with God. Favor with man. Thanks, honey. Check the box there. Um, yeah, that's a that's you're right. Questions, observations? Yes, gun dog. Um, so the Jesus came for everyone. So sweet baby Helen, seven years old, is real into this question of like, and I love this to talk about inclusion and all that because she's very aware of that, which is good. So her biggest question is. Well, does God does God love Satan? You know, like it yeah. is everyone. And so I struggle with the word. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, sure. Really, so what? And I don't know why she asked the question. Probably because she likes to see me struggle with the answer. <laughs> 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 Kayla, you know, that's the rat. That's the rat in her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that? Like, you know, does God love? Yeah, that that takes us into the realm of speculation, but um, we know that God hates evil. Right. Uh, we know that God hates evil, and also Satan is not a person. Um, so when we say, you know, um, that uh, uh, fifty-one sins we have not appreciate for us, but for the sins of the whole world. Um, you know, we know that God loves all people um, and offers His love to all people uh, through repentance. Um, but uh, I don't think that necessarily that he necessarily loves all beings. So I, I don't think that God necessarily loves Satan. Um, yeah, that's speculation though. That's a that's not like lock. Here's the Bible verse, so and so forth. Well, that, I think it's good to just say, here's what we do know. You know yeah. God hates evil. You know, and that sort of. This is what we know. You know, can, let's focus on the first. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, no. <laughs> There's so much more in here. Can we please focus? Yeah, well, and honestly, that's actually extremely good, um, uh, like, biblical hermeneutics in the sense of, like, what about the people in the jungle? Like, we don't know. Like, the Bible does not give us any indication on what happens to the people in the jungle who never hear about Jesus. And and people, most heresy, this is Jen Michelle, she talked about this in her Rooted talk this year, I'm pretty sure, but where the church gets in trouble is where we try to provide answers where there's not anything in the Bible. And so where there's nothing provided, where God doesn't give us revelation, that means that we just need to trust. We know that he's good, and we know that he's just. And so we just need to trust that and not make up, you know. 
we can make we can make speculations based on biblical concepts. Like we can see in the Bible that God hates evil, and we know that God judges Satan in the end. Um, so I would speculate with low degree of certainty that he does not love Satan. But that's just speculation, not a high degree of certainty. Any other questions? Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. That was such a good point that I didn't bring up. <laughs> yeah. Let's think about this. Like John the Baptist in utero, his reaction to Mary coming is a, is a, is a significant moment. Like that is an indicate, it's an affirmation to Elizabeth that yes, indeed, this is a special child within me. And she says, the baby just wept in my womb. Holy cow. This, sure, this baby must be the Messiah. So you can see God at work in the fetus, John the Baptist, to confirm all this for Elizabeth and for Mary. And so God is their word. That, that, that was where my, my point about those who've had miscarriages came. Because you see God working through a child in utero. Um, so anyhow, that thank you so much for bringing that up. Cool. All right, I need to pray for us. Too. I think we all need to go get our children. Uh, Father, I pray you bless us all with a, a, a good Christmas. I pray that um, this could be a really a, a great time, Lord, to talk about um, you and your truths and your, your great generous love for us. And um, for people who are stressed out by the holidays, Lord, help us to walk with uh, comfort. And, um, and yeah, pray that you would bless us all with the peace, the joy, and the hope that comes with being in union with Christ. I ask your prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.